Good morning, everyone. Doug Farrar with Sports Illustrated here back with our good friend Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL Matchup, the continuation of the Draft Podcast Series, uh, sponsored, as always, by WalterFootball.com. Proud to be a sponsor of Chalk Talk, the Doug Farrar Football Podcast with Greg Cosell. For more draft information, including NFL mock drafts updated weekly, draft stock reports, fantasy football rankings, NFL picks, and much more, check out WalterFootball.com, also sponsored by Liscow Consulting, a patron of the football arts that's so nice i love patrons of the football arts greg uh we're gonna get to uh some patrons of the football arts that tend to stand in crouched positions and lash out at defenders and of course we've uh, covered quarterbacks running backs receivers uh we're gonna get to tight it's a, it's a low class for tight ends outside of max williams we will get to tight ends but there is so much to talk about with this class of offensive line people and the when we talk about Brandon Scherf and Leo Collins, Brandon Scherf from Iowa, Leo Collins from LSU, before we talk about these players specifically, you hear every year about this player or that player, this player was a left tackle or a right tackle in college and should kick inside to guard. And a lot of times, to me, it's just, well, I don't think he's a tackle, I don't know what makes a guard, but I'll say he should be a guard. I mean, as long as you've been doing this, what are some of the base traits, the sort of non-negotiable traits that when you see a tackle and instead of just saying he's not a tackle, you say he's a guard because you know what I mean? There's a big difference between he's not a tackle and he's a guard. How do you sort of, how do you project a tackle to a guard? What are the things you need to see? Well, that's really, Doug, and it's a great question, but it's multifaceted because if you think about the NFL, let's start there because ultimately that's what we're doing. We're projecting these players to the NFL. There are a number of tackles in the NFL, even left tackles, who, if you were evaluating them, let's say they were coming out now and you were evaluating them, you might say, well, they're not really NFL left tackle, but they're playing left tackle in the NFL. Uh, You could argue Andrew Whitworth, who's a very, very good NFL left tackle, fits that category. Um, And I'm sure there are others, if I look at the list of teams, a lot of left tackles who you wouldn't say are dancing bears. Well, Whitworth Uh, is a great example because he's, you know, his, 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 he's really technically efficient so his kick step has developed but and and he's a guy who if he was playing on the Packers I don't think he could be a left tackle but he's in maybe a, not he's so, a run heavy which gets into that that's, that's why it's such a multifaceted question I think when people think left tackle let's let's approach it this way they like to think of really good athletes with really light, quick feet who are sort of dancing bears. Right. But, you know, there are just not that many Walter Jones and Orlando Paces in the world. So now you have to think when you watch a guy play, and at Leeds you mentioned Brandon Scherf, okay? Brandon Scherf is in many ways typical of this sort of Iowa line of left tackles over the years, uh-huh. okay? Brian Bulaga came out of Iowa. He's playing right tackle for Green Bay. Um, Riley Reef came out of Iowa. He's playing left tackle for Detroit. So when you look at Brandon Scherf, to me, and I don't know your feeling, I would not say that he's a dancing bear. I would not say that that if you're just looking for that ideal left tackle series of traits, I don't think Brandon Scherf is that guy. But that doesn't mean he can't play left tackle in the National Football League, depending on what team he's on and how that team runs offense. Yeah. 
Well, let's let's talk about Scherf. Um, and I'll just I'll give you a few of my notes. Uh, the most, in my opinion, the most fundamentally sound offensive lineman in this draft class. No surprise, he comes from Iowa. Ideal size, right. ideal size, plays with a wide and strong base. Excellent second level blocker who targets defenders very well in space. Uh, weight room monster, sets the edge well. See, to me, a guy like this who understands advanced blocking principles can move off his first assignment, can pick up a stunt. You know, if he's never going to have a Joe Thomas kick step, that, and what I mean is you, you mirror the edge rusher, and I always compare it to the arc of an opening door. I mean, that's, that's Joe. Joe Thomas has, to me, the best kick step in the NFL. It's just flawless, and it was flawless when he was in college. But if you don't and Joe have Thomas, that, he's smooth when you watch Joe Thomas move. I wouldn't Scherf it to me. I, what you said, by the way, I agree almost a hundred percent with what you, the notes you took. My notes are very similar. Um, he's a fundamentally repetitive and strong player. And repetitive um, at that position is killer crucial. It's so important. Play after play. And I, I couldn't agree more, uh, which is why he'll likely play left tackle in the NFL. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Are there legitimate comparisons? And I know this goes back a number of years, but is, is he somewhat similar to a Jake Long when Long came out of Michigan? <laughs> That's who I compared him to. That's great. <laughs> Because, I mean, when Long came out, and he played left tackle in the NFL, obviously, early in his career, when Long came out, uh, a lot of people, including myself, said if you put him at right tackle, he'd be an all-pro. I'm not sure a lot of people thought of him as a guard, but, you know, that's what people said about Jake Long, and he played left tackle in the league, and until he started getting injuries, he was, you know, wasn't an all-pro type, but he was a good player. Is Scherf that guy? Uh, My guess is he could be that guy. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people think you could move him inside and he could be a, a, an all-pro left guard, but he's, that's not likely to happen. Well, I, you know, I think there's a difference, and I'll, I'll make one note, because you do the strength and the weakness, and I'll, I'll make one note, I'll, I'll read one note from my weakness category. In pass protection, tends to face up and use power as opposed to being smooth with the kick step to define an yep. arc around the pocket. Can be beaten by edge rushers to either side and doesn't mirror the defender and can be vulnerable to quick outside moves to the back of the pocket. Also benefited from multiple tight end sets, which, and when we get to Anders Pete, Stanford does this too, and you kind of have to adjust for that. But, you know, I don't, you, you get sort of compensatory attributes with players in the NFL because, as you said, not everyone is Walter Jones and Orlando Pace. And as you intimated, there are some guys playing legit above average to plus average left tackle in the NFL with some really crappy kick steps, but they figured it out, yeah. and it works, so, so so what? So you have to think about you know, It's like when we get to safeties, okay, and we start talking about single high safeties. You know, not everyone's Earl Thomas. You know, you can't, you can't just compare a guy to Earl Thomas and say, well, if he's not that guy, he can't play single high safety in the NFL. You're not going to have um, a lot of safeties in the NFL. That's a problem. Correct. So, you know, so that's why you have to start by thinking about who plays left tackle in the NFL. And, you know, what, what everybody like to have, I mentioned Pace and Jones, you know, Joe Thomas is a very smooth left tackle. That's his game. He's not a very physical guy. Scherf is a more physical player than Joe Thomas is. Um, so you, you look at the, the pros and the cons, you look at the traits, 
and you have to decide how a guy plays. Now, keep in mind also, the NFL is not a passing league as it was years and years ago with a lot of seven-step drops, where you're going to ask a left tackle to pass protect on an island for seven-step drops. Right. You don't see that a whole lot in the NFL. When you see seven-step drops in the NFL, it's usually off play action, what we call shot plays, where it's seven-man protection. So you don't, you're, you don't ask left tackles to pass protect like that very often in the league. Yeah. Well, and I'm looking at, uh, let's see, number of pressures given up this last year through Pro Football Focus. Uh, Andrew Whitworth on 533 passing plays, zero sacks, one hit, eight hurries, nine total pressures. I mean, and what we do in these podcasts and, and what you do on tape for NFL Films and in a lot of other podcasts and radio appearances and what I do for SI, we're analyzing these players in a vacuum. And I think... It, it may be true at, at these offensive line positions more than any other. The team you're going to is yep. so much. I mean, I could see, like, the Giants. The Giants tried to make Justin Pugh a right tackle, for God's sake. They would look at Scherf and just lose their flipping minds. Whereas, they might. Whereas Chip Kelly might go, nope, that's, I don't need that. I, I gotta have someone quicker. So, so Look, much. Tom, you're right. I mean, Tom Coughlin, who wants to run the ball as the foundation of his offense, and he's always been that guy, he might look at Scherf with his attitude. I mean, Scherf is, to me, he's more powerful than athletically explosive, which to me is why he has the capability and NFL potential to be a dominant run blocker. And I, I mean, with, I, with these Iowa guys, I think we have the tendency if we don't know about the Iowa thing, to sort of overrate them. Because in college, you see a lot of tackles with really iffy technique. Hello, Eric Flowers, I'm talking about you. Um, right, right. And, and the Iowa kids are, are usually, I, I mentioned this earlier, they're fundamentally repetitive snap after snap. That's the way they play. Yeah. Um, one of our sponsor questions comes from Jake Liskow, and it's the guy we're getting to next. And it, Why does Lael Collins have such a widely varying draft position in mocks? And, and I'm not sure we can address that, but let's talk about him. Yeah. Um, and this is a guy who I think projects a little better at guard for a number of reasons. I mean, uh, just from my notes, prototypical Mahler shoots out of his stance quickly at the snap, clearly relishes the opportunity to bury defenders in short areas. Uh, wide base, active hands. I mean, this guy, and he's played guard. Um, now, he's played left tackle against some really high competition, but he, t- I mean, when I look at Scherf, I see a guy who's better in space and better on the move. He's not incredible on the move. Lael Collins, I look at and I go, you put this guy in a phone booth and he's just going to kill everybody. Yeah, well, it's funny because I, I I made the point in my notes. I said that at times he was a badass as a run blocker, and that's that's kind of what he is. Yeah. But I think overall it does have a very desirable combination of natural power and effort. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, the phone kind of went haywire, but we're talking about Lael Collins from LSU, uh, my second ranked tackle. Um, so, Greg, continue with your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, to play off what you were saying, uh, Doug, when I watched him, and I watched a lot of games because you like to watch the SEC. There's a lot of players to watch in the SEC, obviously. Um, You know, he's definitely, at times, he's a real badass as a run blocker. I mean, he took D-linemen to the ground. He stayed on them. Uh, He was explosive off the ball. Now, you could also make the point that there were times he fell off blocks. Um, 
but he's clearly comfortable and explosive and powerful as a run blocker. That's the strength of his game. But he's also, to me, has natural athleticism that could work as a left tackle or, or a right tackle. Um, a lot of people would probably see him as an excellent guard prospect. Um, he's got the mindset, really, I guess, if you're delineating between positions and kind of the conventional gospel that's thrown out there, if you're delineating between positions, you'd probably look at him as a right tackle or a left guard, as, as sort of the, the ideal situations for Collins. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I... I don't know why we say right tackle instead of left tackle, per se, except for specific backside pass protection, because as we've talked about before, the line between right and left tackle is, is blurring so much. But I'll, I'll throw... It's very blurred now, and in some ways it's almost meaningless, but a lot of people still have this sense that a left tackle is a pass-protecting tackle, and the right tackle is more of the road grader. That's sort of the conventional wisdom that's still out there. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know how true that is for most teams, but I think Collins, uh, again, same situation. I think that at his best, he, you know, in the run game, and this is what he, his strength is, he really showed explosive hips as a run blocker. Um, pass protection, I think he do, did have good balance, good knee bend. He has strong hands, which he'll get coached on that as well. Um, but he's, I wouldn't say he's a great, great athlete as, as a pass protector, but he's, he's certainly not stiff. So I think he's a guy that might play left tackle. I, I guess my problem, and I made this note, not quick, he, to me he's got issues with quickness. He said not quick enough to adjust to inside counters and rip moves. I would agree. Um, he needs to be more of a sustainer, susceptible to losing blocks to either side because he doesn't maintain his body position and uses his hands inconsistently. And this was the weird one. He will inexplicably lunge forward when blocking downfield, leading to easy tackles. I, 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 I don't know if you've seen this, where all of a sudden he'll just sort of splay out. And you're like, what yeah. the hell is that? You know, it, it's funny you mention about the hands. And, and one thing that I've noticed watching almost all college offensive linemen, and it, it stands out more with tackles, obviously, because they play more on an island. Very few college offensive tackles use their hands well, just like very few receivers are great route runners yeah. in college. Uh, and that you have to be taught. I mean, well, I'm sure we'll get to Jake Fisher, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have any idea how to use his hands. And my guess is that can be taught. I think that's one of the first things guys teach, and my guess is that that is not viewed at all as a significant red flag for a lot of these guys. Well, it's, I mean, we're, we're, we've discussed this before. We're going to discuss it next week when we talk about defensive linemen. I've seen, you know, I've watched 20 different guys, and I've seen about three who know how to use their hands in any way. You know, rip move, right. swim move, club move. A lot of these guys just run over or run past people. So that, that to me, it comes back to a point I, I'm sure we've talked about over uh, the length of our podcast here is what can be coached and what can't be coached. And, you know, you can't coach a guy to be a, a, an explosive athlete if he's not. But you can coach a guy in, in how to use his hands. I've talked to offensive line coaches about this. And you can, that you can coach. Now, obviously, neither you nor I will know if a guy takes that and applies it on the field, but that can be coached. Yeah. Uh, third tackle on my list is Andrus P, and this, to me, it's the first guy on my list where I don't really have any question where he should play. 
I think he's a smooth athlete. I think he's a practiced athlete. He's six seven for one thing. Not many six seven guards. Well, I think he's a left tackle. And I, personally, I think he may be, may be the best overall left tackle prospect in the draft class. I think he is now. Yeah. The next guy we're going to talk about, I think, could be in two years. But Andrews Pete is now, and he's just. I mean, we talk. There's been you know Iowa, blah blah blah, and and Jonathan Martin, who by the way, I was at Andrew Luck's pro day and Jonathan Martin's pro day too, and I thought this. And we probably talked about. I thought he was a third round talent. It just you know, he showed up soft. He was helped by tight ends all the time. Right. Andrews right. Pete is an entirely different player. He you know, go in a little well, bit. He, just what you know. The one thing you mentioned. Size for a tackle is an attribute. I mean, he is a big, he's hard to get around. Now, again, I wouldn't call him a dancing bear either. I think that ultimately that the strength of his game is run blocking, but he has more than enough athleticism and movement to be a quality pass protector. Uh, I made the point that he's more of a power left tackle than a finesse movement athletic left tackle, and, and there might be times he could be stressed by quickness, but he's very, very big. And those, you know, he's hard to get around. I think he has balance issues at times. I think he plays a little high at times. But you know, and we, and this is a good time to break off into another little tangent here. We talk about things that are coachable. Um, and you talk to coaches and O line coaches, and I'm sure you talked about this. What are the things, just in a general consensus format, for a left tackle that you know? I, I'm sure hand hand placement and hand movement is one. What are the things that are that's coachable? Easily, yeah. So, so is initial feet movement. You know where you where your kick slide step goes. There's there's different philosophies of kick slides with different coaches. So you know that's something that depending on what a college left tackle does with his kick slide, that could be changed when he gets to the NFL. But there's no question that that can be fixed. Now, hand placement is critical. Um, my sense is that. Recovery, like when you ask guys to redirect when they face moves, yes. my sense is that there's a certain level of movement there that that you you may not be able to coach. You know, it's it's just like let's say with corners when we talk about quick twitch and some movement. Some guys have that, some guys don't. Yeah. Um, but I think the initial part of pass protection, the kick slide and the hand placement, you can teach that. Yep. Yeah, it's funny. I, <laughs> you brought up cornerbacks, and it brought, I was at UW's pro day yesterday, and Marcus Peters worked out. I'm like, oh my god, that's closing speed. That's you look that up in the oh yeah. I mean, there's a guy. Yeah, that, that guy's a quick tweet. You know, Woo. you can see that on film. Yeah, you know, and we you know, obviously we'll get to corners, but but I think Andrews Pete to me is is right now as we speak the best pure left tackle prospect in the draft. I don't know. I know who I think is the best athlete. Maybe he's the guy you're going to next, but I think Pete is. Is a really good player. Yeah, one more one more thought on what we were talking about was coachable, and I think this is true with a lot. I think it's true with running back. I really think it's true with receivers. When you talk about foot movement and efficiency of angles, I think that's where you can make a guy faster, but I don't think you can make a guy quicker. Uh, well, what you can do is you can make a guy execute better, and that's what it comes down to. Yeah, but I mean, you're 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 as quick as you. I mean, Lael Collins to me just isn't quick, and he's not. I mean, he can adapt to that. Right, right. You can't really... Well, it's like any position, too. I mean, on defense, people throw the word, you know, instincts out. I always like to t- talk about play recognition. Yeah. I know what you're saying. It fits with what you're saying about tackles. You know, if you understand angles and leverage, uh, you know, you can compensate theoretically if you're not, you know, a dancing bear. Yep. Um, the guy I'm going to put out there as 
just as when we talk about raw attributes, and a lot of times we have to project that in college right, when we're you know projecting these guys to the NFL. The guy who just, I mean, he's played. He, it, it's well, T.J. Clemmings from Pitt. I'll just put that out there. Um, basketball guy played three years as a, as a defensive end, uh, two years at right tackle. He to me, and it's going to take time. And I don't think he can be a left tackle right away. Um, but I saw some elements of Tyron Smith in his play, and I think if if he's given time, maybe he's a right tackle his first year and they, and they sort of rejigger it. But I see a, a kick step that works a lot of the time, I, a physically imposing player, gets under pads and just lifts people off their base. And one of the things – and. You always say this, when you compare someone to someone else, it doesn't mean there's someone else. But I remember with Walter Jones, when he got his second foot down, it was over. And Clemmings has a bit of that. When he gets his second foot down, and he plays with such strength and with such a wide base, when he gets that second foot down, you're done. You go home. You're you're not going to get past him. And I I think... People, I, I think he's a guy this year who's going to get drafted in the mid-first round, and people are going to go, who the hell is that? And then they're going to see him three years from now and go, oh, my God. You could be right. Now, hes I like him a lot. Uh, he was not the guy I thought you were going to mention, but I think that because he's so inexperienced right now at the position – that he doesn't always play to his uh, athleticism, which is, is very, very good. Right. I think there at this point, there are times he's very robotic and mechanical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a work in progress, uh, but I, I agree. I think he has a very strong combination of physical attributes that transition well. Now, he's a guy to me that an offensive line coach, an NFL line coach would say, I'd really like to work with this guy yeah. because there's a lot there to work with. Yep. Yeah, I mean, just a few notes on the negatives. He'll let edge rushers leak to the backside of the pocket. He needs to operate out of a two-point stance for ideal pass pro. More of a straight-line blocker, vulnerable to twisting counters. Inexperience was exposed during Senior Bowl week. He needs to be more aware of his surroundings. But these are all time-based issues. And you know, teams make this mistake all the time, and so do analysts, looking at a guy's pure athleticism. But I think there's, A, there, there are enough attributes, and B, there's been enough... Uh, sustained improvement in his two years to make you think, wow, this you know this could really. Well, be he something. went to Pitt as a defensive tackle, uh, as you probably know. Yeah. So uh, he's not played offensive line very often, and that's why he plays almost like he's thinking the position, you know, which is why he tends to overset because he's probably very conscious. Okay, I got a kick slide; I can't let him get the edge, you know. So there are little things, but my guess is these things would be viewed as coachable, and he's athletically gifted. I think the Tyron Smith example is, is interesting. I don't think he's quite as smooth as Smith. But I think Smith started out at right tackle for Dallas and then moved to left tackle. And I think you could see Clemens' path in the NFL being very similar. Yeah. he. Uh, it, out, out of all the guys in this class, oh, I, I think I know who you're talking about with the athleticism. We'll get to him in a few minutes. Um, so Jake Fisher from Oregon um, was a right tackle. Uh, Tyler Johnstone got hurt. He had to move to left tackle. Uh, I mean, I've watched some of him, but I'm interested in your thoughts because you've already mentioned one possible issue in, in the hands. Yeah, and again, you know, he keeps his hands really, really low in pass protection, uh, so he needs he needs to be taught that. He, he, but when he did fire his hands, I thought that he, he 
was very effective. It's just that they're very, very low. Now, he's another guy that, to me, is a little robotic and mechanical in his lateral movement. Um, and I think those guys can be vulnerable to edge speed and to counter moves. Um, now, I think he's a very good run blocker. Uh, he showed the ability to sustain blocks in the run game. You know, he's got strong hips, strong legs. I thought his athleticism stood out more as a run blocker than it did as a pass protector. Now, I don't think he's as good as this player I'm going to mention, but he looks, you know, he looks like a Jake Matthews type player. Yeah. But I, I don't think he's as good. Um, Matthews was a better athlete and more consistent overall player, but I think there's similarities. Um, He's likely to me to be looked upon as a right tackle, you know, given the conventional wisdom, as we've discussed, uh, whether he can play left tackle down the road, that, that'll be interesting. Um, here's a question. When you have such a high snap count offense, and there are obviously high snap count offense right, in the NFL right. too, can, I mean, I, I've seen this happen in Green Bay where they'll put, and you talked about the three-step versus the seven-step when you have those quick drop offenses, when you have a roll right offense, uh, a right hand yep. roll right offense, can you as a left tackle get away with things that will then sure. haunt you in the NFL? Absolutely. I mean, there's already talk that the Eagles are interested in him, and obviously, you know, Chip knows him, but there's already talk that Chip's interested in him. So. It hasn't gone far enough to the point where people are saying, well, does that mean he's going to play left tackle or are they going to move Lane Johnson to left tackle? Because Lane Johnson also played left tackle at Oklahoma, as you know. Yeah. And I think the thought when he was drafted was that he was athletic enough to move to left tackle at some point down the road. Now, it's not going to be this year because Jason Peters is still there. And he's but, pretty good. Uh, he, had, he wasn't as good last year, but, yes, he's pretty good. Um, so I think it's a perfect case of, of – team and scheme specific with someone like Jake Fisher. I could easily see him playing left tackle in the NFL, but again, he doesn't have necessarily, when you're checking boxes, all the traits that we normally associate with a left tackle position. Yeah. Uh, the next guy I mentioned, and I'm I'm really of two minds about this guy. He's There are these players where I go, if I was an imaginary GM, I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole, but he might be good somewhere else. Is Eric Flowers from Miami. Um, (laughs) 6'6", 329. I mean, he's he's more mobile than you would think for that size. He's got a big wingspan. He's got, and he just, he attacks defenders a lot. Um, You know, we talk about functional adaptive kick steps. He doesn't have one. He, it's like, you know, his first dancing class out there. And, and yet, and I was reading a breakdown of Flowers by Stephen White of SB Nation. He made a really good point it, that Flowers does so many things well enough with completely rotten technique that is he the kind of guy you'd want to take and, you know, it, it's almost a danger at that point to say, oh, I can fix him. And once I fix him, he's going to be unbelievable. Yeah, and, you know, that is a big question because I think that there's too many times and too many games that I watched where I didn't think he looked very good. I think he's a little stiff. He's not a fluid guy. Um, I thought he had really bad posture and pass protection. His, his hips were tight. He, he had limited flexibility, and the result was they had a tendency to lunge. Um you know, he passed set to me like a guard. Very choppy steps with very tight lateral movement and stiff hips. That's the way he passed set to me. Um, 
I thought he was very effective as a power run blocker. He's aggressive off the ball. He's got a strong base, good leverage. Those, to me, again, the attributes of a guard. You know who he reminded me of? Huh. He reminded me of Orlando Franklin coming out of Miami. I could see that. I could see that. And so, and Franklin's obviously transitioned to the NFL as a guard and, and is a good guard. Yeah. Um, so, again, you know, can is this guy, if he's viewed as a guard by the NFL, he's not going to be a high pick. Uh, and, and I don't think he should be anyway, but that's just my opinion based on my film study. But I don't know what games did you – oh, well, I guess you, you – you know, I watched him against Nebraska, and I watched him against Virginia as two of the, the numerous games I watched. He couldn't block Randy Gregory. He couldn't block him. Right. Um, um, he played against Shane Ray too, right? Uh, he played Eli Harold for oh, Virginia, no, I, who yeah, he that's also right, – That's right, that's right. Who I'm he a, who also I'm a, really struggled with him. Yeah, and then Harold to me Eli is not Hill. a great pass rusher. Gregory say, is a yeah. potentially great pass rusher. I was going to say we're going to talk about Eli Harold next week, and I'm, I wasn't that impressed with him either. Yeah, I don't mark the games I watch. I just I make notes as I go. I need to. Yeah, I, I mark all the games I watch. Yeah, um, but he couldn't block Randy Gregory. I mean, it was it was a total mismatch. The other problem I have with with Flowers is that he gets gassed late in games. I don't think he's in optimal football shape, and then he starts playing high. Then he gets even sloppier. So yep. this is where I have a real problem with not only, I mean, at his best, he's mediocre in technique, and then he can't sustain it because he gets tired. And that's where I'm like, well, okay, so he's a big guy who can move around a lot and hit people. That doesn't make you, I mean, there are big guys, in, you could, or bouncers and bars are big guys who can hit people. That doesn't make you a, an offensive lineman in the National Football League. Right. I mean, he's 6'6", 330 pounds. So is someone going to look at him, a coach, I mean, and say, okay, I can make this guy a tackle? Or are they going to say, boy, that's really good size. He's kind of a power player. Uh, let's just put him at guard and, and let's move on because that's really what he is, which is the way I see him. Yeah. Um, okay, the guy I think you're talking about when you say the best athlete is DJ Humphreys from Florida. You would be correct. Yeah. And, you know, he's had knee and ankle injuries, limited multiple seasons, durability is a skill, but in a vacuum, he's got just about everything you want. Yeah, and again, that doesn't automatically mean he's going to be, come in and be an all-pro left tackle, but to me, he's the best natural athlete of the left tackle prospects. I would agree. He's clearly, to me, the smoothest mover as a pass protector. Um, I made it a point to watch him against Shane Ray, and he competed throughout the game. He was not out-athleted by Shane Ray. Um, now, again, you know, the thing is, it, it, it's interesting how we all do this, because if you like a player, and then no matter how we do this, everybody has certain preconceived notions that say hey, that's we, we, we all have a history of how we go about doing this. So if, if you tend to like a player, you tend to look at the things you find as flaws as, oh, that's okay, it can be fixed. If you don't like a player, we tend to look at those things and say, oh, boy, he can't play. Now, is this guy a finished product? Absolutely not. But there's a lot of traits with this kid that potentially make him the best prospect in this draft at the position. Now, where he gets drafted, I can't answer that. Um, but this kid's got a lot of talent to play a left tackle in the NFL. Yeah, he's very fluid. He's very athletic. And he was that way even after the injuries. And it's kind of like with Haoloi Kikaha where he had the two knee injuries and, and then he, he's still kind of fast. and Right. And, and I think you have to look at that, too. But I mean, 
mean, if you want to see a guy, uh, and, and you should pull up this play uh, wherever you can, take a look at Matt Jones' 44-yard touchdown run versus Georgia. Okay. And you'll see an unbelievably great example of Humphrey's quick feet and really efficient movement to work to the second level. I mean, he looked like uh, you know a wide receiver doing this. You know, he's got, at times, he has that kind of movement. Yeah. Um, so, in 2010... Texas A&M did a fairly decent job of recruiting offensive linemen. Same class, they got Jake Matthews, Luke Jokel, and uh, Cedric Ogbui. That's pretty decent. Um, and Ogbui is the, the the last guy to go to the NFL, obviously. Um, and like Humphreys, he's had some injury issues. Uh, one of the notes I made was optimal physical prototype for the position. Solid frame, good musculature, long arms, um, quick and agile athlete, consistent and fluid kick step, accelerates quickly to the second level, plays with decent lateral speed, um, good eye for twist and stunts. And I, I'm, you know, I, I see some issues too, but this to me is also, he's a left tackle at the next level. Yeah, and again, now you're dealing with another guy that needs work on his hand usage and hand placement because too many times guys got inside of him. Yeah. But like we said, I think that you you can fix that. You know, he's clearly a plus athlete for the position. Um, he's got quick feet. He's got natural movement ability. Um, he's an easy pass setter. Uh, you know, I think at times his core looked a little tight, but he's got quick feet. Um you know, I think this is a guy that, you know, he's got a lot of experience. He's played guard. He's played uh, both tackle positions. Uh, he can play tackle in the NFL. There's no question in my mind that he can play tackle due to his athleticism and kind of his easy ability to move efficiently in space. Now, he didn't always play that way, but that skill set exists. Yeah, my my primary concern with him, and we don't know, you know, we – People used to talk about the fact that Orlando Pace didn't play with a mean streak. Uh, I think he did okay. But there are times with Agbui where, and I think it's more a function of technique than, you know, demeanor. Um, right. He'll come off the ball too high. I don't think he uses his core well at times, and he'll get pushed around. And when you're facing, you know, well, I mean, Justin Smith is, may retire, but Justin Smith in his prime, he's going to see that and go, oh, look, lunch. So I think he needs to get more consistent coming off the ball lower and just driving people. But in pass set, I think he's, you know, he's he's well on his way. Right. Definitely. Okay. Da, 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 da. Let's talk about Ty Sambrello from Colorado State, who, by the way, was a freestyle skiing champion, a trick skier. Uh, wow. Before he, before he became a, an offensive lineman, which is kind of interesting. Have you watched him? I have. And your thoughts? I've watched quite a bit of him. Your th- I, now I compared him to Riley Reef. I don't know if you're going to go with that. Uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't make a, a strict comparison, but the more I watched him, the more I liked him. I thought that he was very assignment disciplined. I thought he had plus athleticism and movement. Um, you know, again, you're dealing with a guy that I believe can play left tackle in the NFL. I mean, how would you compare him? Wasn't Bakhtari the guy who was there before Sambrello? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's Colorado State, right? Yeah, I believe that that's correct. I mean, I I think that he's he was very efficient. He was effective as a pass protector. Um, is he a high-level athlete? No. But 
again, we're back to that same conversation. The Riley Reef comparison, now that I think about it, is pretty good because you'd probably say the exact same thing about Riley Reef. Sambrello is very consistent in his execution. He made few mistakes. He did not get beat very often in the games I watched. Um, he's probably more efficient and disciplined than purely athletic, but he's not unathletic. Well, some of the negatives, it tends to overreach at times and has to correct. Could be a function of short arms, 33 inches. Better in a defined space than he is on the move. Cut blocks and second level protections are inconsistent. Um, not yeah, and he had a tendency... He had a tendency, Doug, I thought, to, to set really hard to the outside in pass protection. So, again, that can be coached because if you do that, you're going to be very susceptible to inside moves. But, you know, there's not a lot of college guys who are going to beat you like that. And, I, you know, one of the things with I mean, I look at, you know, short arms, uh, he clearly enjoys the physical aspects of the position. This is a guy who likes to go out and hit people, and that's great. Um, I saw at the same time... And when you say, oh, he likes to hit people, you must think, oh, he's a huge, strong guy. I saw some strength issues at times, you know, where he just got overpowered. So I don't know, you know, is he a right guard? Is he a right? I don't know if he's a right tackle. I'm not really sure where to place him. Right, right. And again, um, you know, we could debate this forever. Yeah. Um, it, it will all depend on how a team sees him within the context of their offense. Yep. Now, one guy who has played right tackle and really well in my mind, I have him with a third-round projection, um, is Daryl Williams from Oklahoma. I don't know how much you've watched of him, but... I watched him. I think, you know, wide and powerful base, quicker off the snap than you may think, decent level of technique. He's got some, you know, he lunges at speed rushers. Sometimes his footwork is just awful, but he, to me, is a guy who has a lot of the base attributes... Uh, to be an, and to me, he's a right tackle. I don't think he has the footwork to be a left tackle. No, and then, and he's a guy that worked really hard at his pass set. I mean, he's a guy that to get to the top of his pass set, he was working it hard. Yeah, you know, and he's not that smooth and, and comfortable as an athlete. So, I mean, he was a right tackle at Oklahoma. So, uh, and, and he was a three-year starter with a lot of starts. Um, you know, now he has no experience at offensive guard. So. Do you see him that way, or, or do you see him as just a, a perfect right tackle? I mean, I, I made the point that he played like a right tackle. He he exactly. was aggressive and physical as a run blocker. He, there was some efficiency, but no, no real smoothness or athleticism as a pass protector. Well, you know, there are these players in the NFL where when they take their first angle, they're great, and the more angles they take, the more you get diminishing returns. I think he's right. that guy. You know, the first right. move he makes is great, and the more moves in different directions you ask him to make, the more you're going to go, oh, I really regret asking him to do that because he can't. But and then, firing out, he's well, awesome. Yeah, one other thing which we should talk about, and then we can talk about it more with interior linemen, but he's competitive. And I think that's one of the things you always have to look at with offensive linemen. Uh, I'm more aware of it with interior guys, but it definitely holds true for all offensive linemen because, you know, you can't always look pretty playing on the offensive line. A lot of things are happening in a small space, and you're, you're often you're reacting to quickness because, you know, particularly with tackles, you could argue that one of the biggest mismatches on the field are these speed edge rushers versus tackles. You know, so you're not always going to look pretty. There's not a lot of guys that can do that snap after snap. And Daryl Williams competed, yeah. and I think that that really stood out on film. Well, the ability to... 
adapt. We talk about recovery speed with cornerbacks. Recovery speed, as especially a left tackle, I think is hugely important because you're going to get beaten. It's how you know. I think a lot of the best left tackles are able to. Okay, I got beat with this step, but I can somehow correct. I think going back to Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas is really good at that. I think Whitworth is good at that. You know, it it just it depends on who you're talking about. Um, Which other tackles have you watched? Uh, I'll tell you, I've watched uh, Donovan Smith from Penn State. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I'm going through my list. Have of you seen uh, Havenstein, the kid from Wisconsin? Yeah, really. I love that kid as a as a right tackle in a uh, uh, probably more of a gap scheme, power run game. But I love that kid. Um, I watched the other tackle at Oklahoma, the left tackle. I watched the Utah kid, Jeremiah Putashi. Yeah, let's um, talk about him for a minute because um, he's not a left tackle. Uh, he's he's like he's he weighs about eight hundred pounds. <laughs> but yeah, he's another really big man who is you know. You watch a guy like that, and you think that he'll be stressed by quickness. But, uh, you know, he, he has imposing size as a pass protector. And as we said, size is a trait at the O-tackle position. Yeah. Now, he certainly does not project as a left tackle, you know, in an ideal world. And, and Utah did not feature an NFL drop-back pass game. So you really didn't see him pass that the way you really want to see him do because, you know, that's what he'll be asked to do in the NFL. Um you know, I made the point that he'll certainly not start his NFL career at left tackle. In fact, he will likely never play left tackle. His NFL future is at right tackle or guard. Um, you know, the question becomes how will his size compensate for some athletic and movement limitations? But, but I liked him as a player. I like him as a right tackle because I think what he does quickly is to turn his body to the target. He mirrors in short space yep. as well. And I think you want to take advantage of that by making him a right tackle as opposed to a guard. I think I think then, his I think his turn speed is going to be more than his pull speed, if that makes sense. Right. And with a guy, with and, a big guy, you're moving. If his pull speed is faster, and he can just go on the move, like that's one reason I'd want to make sure for guard. If I if I'm pulling a lot, because I think he'd be a great pull blocker as a guard. And getting back to Havenstein, you know, we talked about Iowa and yeah. their left tackles. Mm-hmm. To me, this kid, you know, he fits the profile of the Wisconsin alignment. Fundamentally sound, consistent execution, an overall efficiency to his play that shows up snap after snap. I think he's a better prospect than Ricky Wagner, who's now starting in the NFL. Um, you know, to me, he's got the look of an NFL right tackle who can play for 10 years. Uh, now, he's not his own guy. I think, he, you know, he fits best in more of a gap scheme, power run game. But I think he can be a very, very good player. Uh, what are your thoughts about Donovan Smith to finish up with tackles? Uh, you know, and he's a guy I made the note to myself uh, that uh, about dancing bears, that, you know, not all NFL left tackles are light-footed dancing bears. And I think that... You know, Smith struck me as that guy. I thought that he's, he, to me, he was more comfortable and composed in pass protection than Putasi. And he's, you know, a big man just like Putasi because he's got a really big frame. But I think it's really well proportioned. You know, he's not top heavy. Um, I think he's, he's kind of a big methodical mover. You know, guys like this, like Donovan Smith, are not going to look like, uh, uh, you know, necessarily really quick footed guys. Um, but I thought the big concern for me, did you watch him? Yeah, watched a couple of games. Uh, 
the big concern in pass protection is I thought he really had uh, he really struggled to redirect. And that's, you know, obviously a concern in the NFL. It's it's a much bigger concern in the NFL than it is in college. So, you know, in that sense, there'll be people who who will look at him and and not see a left tackle. He was a little top-heavy and bent at the waist, the the closer to the moment of truth and pass protection. So, again, these are things that that show up as negatives. Can they be fixed? That remains to be seen, but uh, but overall, you know, he's going to play in the league. It's just a matter of where. Yeah, uh, moving to guards, and we you were discussing hand placement and how that can be a problem. And the the first guy on my list, Lakin Tomlinson from Duke, really struggles with this. One of the notes I made was very inconsistent with his hands and placement. Tends to stab instead of locking on, and will lose defenders to either side as a result. Um, you know, this, I mean, he's, he's what, 6'3", 320. I think he fits the profile. Uh, great run blocker in a phone booth. Uh, good form in pass yep. blocking. He could, I mean, to me, he could go gap or zone. You know, he's got a lot of versatility. See, I don't think he can do zone. I think. Really? I think, I don't think he's athletic at okay. all. I think that he's, um, how would I describe him? I, I would say that he's a strong powerful physical player I think that he's an attitude player he's a tempo setter on an O-line and NFL O-line coaches love those kinds of players I don't think he's a smooth and rangy athlete at all um, to me he, he, did he pull and, and was he effective at times yeah but I, I don't see that as a strength of his game I think he played a strong man's game with high level competitiveness and tenacity um, yeah, I, I just I'm not sure he's he's got the athletic movement to be a zone uh, to, to work effectively in a predominant zone scheme. Yeah. Now that didn't mean that he's you know on a team he's on they're never going to run his own play. But I you know I don't think that he's a Gary Kubiak you know offensive guard. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you who I compared him to is Trey Turner, who went to the Panthers in the third round last year. At See, I thought Turner was way more athletic, but hey, that's okay. We okay. see, you know, we could see it differently. Uh, um, but you know, the thing I liked about him is he didn't mind pissing people off. I mean, yeah. he played with an edge. Yep, and that's kind of why I wore the Turner thing. Although you're you're right about the athleticism for sure. Um, so Trey Jackson from Florida State. What are your thoughts about him? Um, uh, mixed. You know, I think that there were times I, you know, I really liked him at times. I. The more I watched, I think he really struggled in pass protection. I think if he could not engage quickly, he really struggled with quickness. Um, so, you know, but I think that there's talent there. You know, as, as we were discussing earlier, I think that ultimately you're looking for really competitive guys. Now, I think if you draw up an offensive guard, this guy has a lot of the traits you look for, but he just he does have light feet and he's naturally athletic, but yet he struggled with quickness. So is that a coaching thing? And I don't know the answer to this because I'm not an O-line coach because I would have expected he'd be better in dealing with quickness given that he's a pretty light-footed guy for his size, but he really struggled with quickness. Yeah, I can be upended by quicker defensive linemen. Second level blocking is a work in progress. Um... And one thing I liked about him, I mean, you, hand moves, twists, and counters. 
once he gets his base, he's very adept at maintaining it, and you can use his yeah. hands well to direct the action. That I like about him. It's funny you say that, because I said when he engaged quickly in pass protection, he played with strength and power. He was tough to move. I mean, there's a guy, we talked about guys who don't know how to use their hands. I think he does, and I think he yeah. can build on that and be really... He's just, he just was a little bit of a, of a contradiction to me, because he's he is light on his feet, but he just really had a hard time with quickness. Yep. Uh, AJ Can from South Carolina, and the more I watched him, the more I, th- I mean, really reliable player. Um, yep. I kind of wondered about the highest, the, the low ceiling thing, though. Yeah, well, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I think he's he's one of those guys you could probably plug in, and he'd be a quality NFL starter. Um, you know, I don't know if he becomes an All Pro, but I think that he's a really good prospect with a really desirable combination of movement and power and leverage. Um, you know, whether that means he becomes great or whether he's just a guy you plug in and and you know I, I i know some people on the staff down there and they say he's an unbelievably great kid and that he does you know he he, he runs the show for that team he ran the show he's a four he's a four-year starter down there so you know my guess is he's he's a pro, he could be a plug-and-play guy who's going to be very solid and consistent uh-huh um, uh, I'll tell you a guy I really like. Yeah. And I don't know, you may not have gotten to see him. Uh, is Mark Lewinsky from West Virginia. Uh, I did not. I really like this kid. And, wh- and what, what did you like? Well, he's another guy that, you know, he's really efficient snap after snap. And I think he can play in both the zone scheme he can play in a power scheme um he's he's a battler uh with plus athletic movement you know my sense watching him was o-line coaches will love him um you know the more i watched him the more i saw the kind of movement and mobility that that can fit any scheme uh i think he's another guy that could play 10 years in the league as a starting guard interesting um my number four guy was uh i'm sure i'm butchering butchering this uh Josui matias from florida state um Started the 2011 Champ Sports Bowl as a true freshman and 46 total starts. Uh, great leverage, can drive defenders off the ball, has moments where he's agile and pass pro. I think he needs a little more core strength, 6'5", 309, maybe just a bit more muscle. But I thought he looked, you know, I wouldn't say pro-ready. That's a nebulous term, but I like him a you lot. Know, and it, it's funny because I watched him, and I thought given his size and his build – I think he's a right tackle. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I didn't really put that together, but yeah, I would agree. I would. I mean, again, I don't know if that's the way other people see him. I'm just, you know, telling you what I saw. No, the second you tall. said that, I'm like, yeah, exactly. He is. Because he's not built like a guard. I mean, he's, you know, there are guards who are, you know, six four, six five, but he's he's built almost more lean you know he's not a 335 pound man i mean he's he's got a long body long legs he looked more like an o tackle with his body type and frame to me um and you know i ultimately think that's where he'd fit best in the nfl at right tackle yeah and that's i mean it's interesting there's some guy like eric steinbach to me never looked like a guard i mean he was a great guard for a long time but it, it's you know some guys some teams will take guys who don't look like guards and will will make you a guard because you fit here or you're just special right. in some way. But yeah, the things that he struggles with at guard would actually not be as 
prominently a debit at right tackle, and he could use more of the things that make him good. I, yeah, the moment, the second you said it, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, there you go. Um, now I know you haven't seen too much of Ali Marpet from Hobart. I made it a comparison. I have not. Yeah, um, I made the comparison to T.J. Lang. I think he's a high effort guy. I think he's a glass eater, as they say. Um, <laughs> you know, he, hey, that's which is a good term given that the tournament, the NCAA tournament, the Final Four is this weekend. Yeah, you know, we'll probably hear that term. You know, he's a nasty dude, and I think he's going to take to coaching very well. Um, but he went in with Hobart Division Three school. I think that's up in your neck of the woods. Um, it's in the Northeast. Yeah, and so let's not talk about Marpet per se. When you are evaluating a guy in a Division three school, and maybe he has a Senior Bowl, maybe he has a Shrine game, maybe he has an right. NFLPA Bowl, but really you're looking, and, and, you know, because he went up against some really good guys at the Senior Bowl, and, and that's, you know, and he had a good combine, but it was that Senior Bowl week where everyone went, whoa, holy crap, who's this dude? But when you're looking at guys who all they have is that tape and you need to project into the NFL, um, I would imagine that isolating their attributes becomes more important than ever. But how do you sort of alter your evaluations when you're in that kind of predicament? Well, you hit it on the head. Then you have to look purely at traits in a vacuum. Because you know the players they're playing against are obviously lower-level players, so you have to really try to get a feel for traits. But this is true for a lot of positions, even at at higher levels. I mean, it's like with quarterbacks, and and I think we talked about this when we did quarterbacks. Any time you're evaluating a quarterback who plays in any kind of true spread system in college, people can say what they want. It's a projection. Because what they're being asked to do in college is not what they're being asked to do in the NFL. So it's a projection. Uh, So Marcus Mariota is a projection. Ali Marpet is a projection. You can look at traits and you try to to look at, you know, individual workouts at the senior bowl. How does he match up to, you know, really good, you know, highly rated D tackles? And then... But still, that's not playing the game of football. So you you try to get a feel for how he moves. Um, you know, the technique is, is hard because he's going to be taught. You know, my guess is the, the – I don't want to say there are bad coaches at Hobart. They're probably hardworking coaches like everybody else, but it's just a different level. So you have to really focus on attributes and traits, characteristics, and how you think they'll transition to the NFL. Well, you know, when he's, when he's trying to block Gerald McCoy, how is that going to work? I think when, you know, if you're at, you know, if you're, and I've talked to some of these guys or in the CFL maybe, if you're a JUCO coach or a Division three coach, you're not generally getting guys, you know, if you're JUCO, you get a, an academically ineligible guy who's special once in a while. But most of the time, you're not saying, let's, let's fix a few things with your kick step. I mean, you're teaching right. these guys how to use their hands at that point because they're, you know, they're, because they couldn't, I mean, let's be frank about it, they couldn't get an invite to a better school. So I think at that level, you're dealing with more base fundamentals and you just can't deal with that stuff because, you know, that's three floors above where you are. Yeah, and I think a lot of people need to realize that even at the highest level of college football, and and I've had this conversation with a lot of coaches on the offensive side of the ball in particular, um, people have to realize that even in the SEC, it's college football. There's still a huge difference Mm -hmm. between college football and the NFL. And by the way, that difference is just getting larger and larger with each passing season. Now, 
it's really getting worse and worse at the quarterback position. Yeah. But overall, you know, it's like when we you talk receivers, and I love when I hear people say, well, he needs work as a route runner. You could say that about 99.9% of the receivers coming <laughs> in the NFL every year. Yeah. That's almost a meaningless statement. You know, they all need work because, you know, the one there's many things that stand out, Doug, when I start watching the college tape right after the NFL season, but one of the things that stands out is how simple college defenses are relative to NFL defenses. Yeah. Now, everyone once in a while, you see a team that you know blitzes a little bit more than another team, or you see a scheme. You know, every once in a while, and you go, "Wow, that's pretty cool." But for the most part, it's you're not seeing very much schematically on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, there's there's adjustments and major transitions for everybody. And just because the talent level in the SEC is better than the talent level, you know, maybe in the Mountain West or certainly at Hobart in Division Three, doesn't mean that these guys are NFL-ready players. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you were talking about defenses, it reminded me of what the, my one concern about Amari Cooper is so many of his catches, he was just exploiting bad cornerbacks in cover three. And, and corners in college, that, that's one of the positions, that, you know, and we'll get to that when we start talking corners in a couple of weeks. That's a position where there's a major difference between the NFL and, and in college football. Enormous. Because, you know, a large number of the corners you're playing against in, in college are not going to be NFL corners. Yeah. Uh, one more guard I want to get to, and then we'll go through kind of a lightning round. Anyone you've seen is uh, Ari Kwanja, who's Cyrus's uh, older brother, I think. Yep. And... Um, this guy drove me nuts. Me too, because you know when you see he's these, really a good athlete, but he was not very composed, controlled, or efficient, and therefore didn't play with a whole lot of consistency. But if you just isolated the, the movement, you know, and he looked really good, and he had some really good games. I I, I watched him um, against Mississippi State. That was what you know. I watched a ton of Alabama. You always do yeah. because I like to see defenses against their offense because it's a pro style offense for the most part. Um, you know, he had a great game against Mississippi State. He looked like a really solid offensive guard prospect in that game. Uh, and there were times he looked really, really good, but he just, he was very frustrating, and at times he drove me nuts. Well, I don't think he knows where the, here's what I wrote in under negatives. More often than you'd like to see, Quanjo gets lost in the action. Doesn't always seem assignment correct. Gets lost too frequently when asked to block in space and redirect. Fails to stay with his target on zone slides. Needs to be more directed with his blocks overall. Um, you know, he's got a fairly complicated medical history, and that's a separate issue. But yep. I think when we're talking about um, play awareness, I mean, and you mentioned it before when you talked about instincts, I, I just, I, I don't buy in because I don't think and, he, doesn't, and he doesn't play that way. I can understand that because I made the point that he's a very loose and undisciplined player, not very assignment disciplined. And, you know, that that could speak to instincts, just overall awareness. Um, you know, so there's a lot to work with if you're just looking at athletic tools. Um, and he competed, which is a positive, obviously. But, but now you get back to our sort of the theme for this whole conversation is how will an O-line coach look at this kid? Will they look at him and say, wow, really, really a lot of athletic tools. I can make him a player or, God, this guy is just all over the place. I'm not sure what I can do with him. Yeah. Um, any other guards you saw that you... you and there's a guard who, you know, intrigued me. He's small, although I thought that he was a smaller version of Tomlinson, and that's uh, John Miller from um, Louisville. Uh-huh. 
I don't know if you got to see him. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's to me, he's kind of a smaller version, not not quite as big, not as naturally powerful, but really strong hands, a little deceptive with his movement, a really efficient and powerful player. But, you know, a little smaller than you'd like to see. Uh, let's finish up with centers, and obviously Cameron Irving of Florida State is our main guy. So uh, what are your thoughts on him? And, and you know what? I... I I've got to, I haven't gotten to him yet as a center, so I, I can't answer that. I, because um, I'm going to, obviously, but I ha- I've seen him as a tackle. I haven't gotten to him. Um, that old, that old line, I can't watch four, you know, four guys at one time. So Irving is the last guy I have to see as a as a center. Yeah, I, you know, to me, he's what, he's six five three thirteen. He's got a lot of strength. Um, he does combos well. He does second level well. I, you know, I guess the question is here, do you take a center in the first round? I've seen a lot of first-round grades on him. Is he Nick Mangold? No, I mean, is he um, Alex Mack? I don't, you know, I, I give him kind of a mid-second grade because I don't right. think that's a first-round position unless you watch a guy and just go, geez, that's crazy how good he is. Yeah, you know, like I said, I will watch, you know, that that's, I have to get to that. So I, I just can't comment and, uh, um I, I really like the kid from Oregon. I don't know if you like him. Hironis Grasso, I was just going to ask you about him. You know, to me, I mean, and we, I mentioned this, that consistency, play-to-play consistency is so important at, at any offensive line position. And well, that's what he is. It's funny you mention that because that's exactly what this kid is. Yeah, that's exactly, and, you know, especially in a quick play offense where he's playing 20 more snaps than, say, uh, this or that ACC, and he doesn't look like he ever gets tired. Exactly, and I remember. Yeah, I, mean, ta- I, I was talking to Kyle Long uh, before his rookie season when he was training down with Travell Gaines in LA, and he mentioned how much. And this is something when, when you're a center, you're making the line calls. He said Hironis Grass, who's the smartest guy I've ever played with, he taught me everything. And of course, Kyle Long was one of those guys who had to learn really quickly uh, at Oregon. Right. So I, you know, to me. He fits what I think a lot of people see. That you know, if you're not the sub Nick Mangold, Alex Mack, you know he's not as physically imposing, but he gets it. And at center, that's to me more important than you know this or that attribute. Because I've seen a well, lot here, of centers here, who just don't get it, and they don't last too long. Yeah, here's here's what I. I... My final line for him, you know, after I went through, and, and I've watched a ton of Oregon, as you can appreciate, for, for obvious reasons with Mariota, I said the strength of his game is consistent execution, snap after snap, plus he's competitive and aware. That combination almost always translates to being a quality starting offensive center in the NFL. Yep. Exactly. Um, any other centers you'd like to discuss? Uh, there's a couple of guys who, you know, again, are they're diff- these two guys are totally different kinds of players, I think. Uh, but uh, there's a kid from Boston College, Danny Gallick, who I found pretty intriguing. I watched him. Um, there's a kid from Kansas State, B.J. Finney, who's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, you know, centers, I don't know how you feel. And, and for me, you know, watching full games, I find centers, you need to watch a lot of games. Yeah. Because, you know, like Grasso, really, you can if you just watch one game of Grasso, you're going to come away thinking, oh, there's nothing special about this guy. But then when you watch six or seven games and you realize that the execution is so good and so disciplined, play after play, game after game, uh, you know, Finney, the Kansas State, it struck me the same way. The more I watch, the more I like him. Yeah. He played with, he's a strong guy. You know, Grasso, I don't think, is as strong as Finney. Um 
and, and Finney played with great strength and great competitiveness. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of times with interior guys, the, the hole is sort of better than the sum of the parts because you're, you're not necessarily talking about, you know, phenomenal athletes or they wouldn't be interior offensive linemen usually. Yeah. Um, but I think that Finney, I thought, was is a really interesting prospect. Uh, the one center I've watched more of than anyone else is uh, Reese Dismukes from Auburn because I had to write him up for the uh, for our positional rankings. And um, Remington Trophy winner, a lot of experience. Uh, you know, I think he's a pretty good technician. I don't know how much of him you've watched. I compared him to Weston Richburg. I think he's a zone guy. He has a lot. Of, he's 6'3", 296. Especially when he gets high in his stance, he's going to struggle against bigger guys. Um, short arms. I'm not quite sure what to make of him. Yeah, I, I, I need to see a little more of him. I've seen two full games. Um, you know, I, I made the point just as you did. I said could be very efficient in his own scheme with the size and movement. Um, and then when I mean size, not big size, you know, he's small, you know, smaller. Um, now, it, you have to feel then comfortable about that. Can he play in his predominant zone scheme in the NFL? In other words, what you know, and I use always use Gary Kubiak just because we know that's his own scheme. You know, would would, would Gary Kubiak look at, at this Mukes and say, "There's my guy." Yeah. Um, you know, I thought that he was always in pretty good position to execute his blocks. He wasn't on the ground a lot, so in the two games I watched, I did like him. Yep. A uh, couple quick. Uh... Contributor questions on Kickstarter. Chris, Tristan DeCoster asks, uh, this is less a question than something I would like to hear discussed. You both make a lot of references to the difference between college and pro. Do they use zone blocking schemes or just gap blocking schemes in college? And do you think this has anything to do with the many high pick bust offensive linemen? Well, it depends on the team. I mean, there's you see both. Um, I don't think... The teams that are in spread, and there's more spread than not in college, they don't use as many gap schemes, you know, uh, um, power, counter, as they do zone. When, But when you watch teams that are more pro-type offenses like Stanford, um, you know, they're going to use a lot of gap schemes with pulling guards, you know, the Georgias of the world, the, the, um, the Alabamas of the world, you'll see that. But most spread teams will use more zone. Uh, it doesn't mean there's never a pulling guard, but I would say the zone concepts are far more predominant. Yeah, and finally, contributor Don asks, what key attributes make a player a good center versus a good guard, or are the traits predominantly similar between the two positions. Besides, obviously, if you're a center, you better be good at snapping the ball. Right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, again, that's, I would say in some ways they're similar. Um, I, I would come back to <laughs> first and foremost, and this is something it took me a lot of years to learn, because I would, I, when I started out doing this, I, I kept looking for athletic movement, and then I realized that for interior guys, competitiveness is really, really important, which doesn't mean that technique isn't, uh, because I've been at, at training camps where I can literally, I, I've been right there with offensive line coaches literally getting on guys because their first step was three inches away from where it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the way this stuff gets coached. But I think when you're talking about interior players, um, you want guys who are fighters, who are battlers, who compete. Now, the one thing about pass protection, and, and this all depends on now on the team, is often guards can be in situations where they don't have as much help if if 
the tackles are going to be on an island because then the guard is in a situation where he's going to have to do a whole lot of one-on-one pass protection. Yeah. And that's that's a little different animal for a guard than it can be for a center. Yeah, some guys uh, don't really have peripheral vision and it shows. <laughs> now, in the NFL, you're getting into a situation, and we can wrap up with this, with all these pressure schemes inside that, you know, whether they start with double a gap looks or whether they you know now there's triple a gap pressures in the nfl which are becoming more and more prevalent so now you're dealing with awareness as well you know which you, see this is what you don't get in college at all and this is another thing that you have to project you know you can look at a guy like rasu and, and i think he's a really good player but when he you know when he faces a triple a gap scheme blitz scheme How's he going to handle that? And you don't know that. And, you know, you, you think he'll, he'll be okay because he's a very aware guy. But there's a lot of things you're going to see in the NFL you don't see in college football. Well, I was just thinking, like, if let's say the Cardinals take Grasso, and the first time he plays the Seahawks and Brandon Meebane, if he's still on the team, lines up in that old Joe Green stunt 4-3 that he does a lot where he's at a little right. like, angle. And Grasso's like, what the hell? And then he gives up a sack because he's just – right. And I, so, we're going to really get into this next week with defensive linemen. Um, but I and you said it before. I don't think it can be overstated. There are so many things these kids are going to see in the pros that they did not see in college. And we talk about you know all these tackles from the last two years or oh they're but we don't have any idea if they're busts yet. They're adapting. No, they so have. They, they don't have a clue. And I, you know, I, as you know, I talk to people about this. They don't have a clue. And, you know, that's why all these people who think, you know, oh, they played in the SEC or they played in this kind, you know, it, it that's great. And, and, yeah, is it better to play in the SEC than something? Sure, probably for some reasons, but they don't have a clue. They really don't have a clue. Yep. Well, thank you as always, Greg, for having a clue. Uh, great talk on Well, I don't know if I do, but, you know, hey. Well, we, 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 we try. We fake it every week. So <laughs> we'll be back uh, next week to talk. <laughs> We're all day-to-day. We're all day-to-day. We're all day-to-day, uh, every day. Uh, and we'll be talking about defensive linemen next week, which I believe might be our most interesting podcast to date. A lot to discuss. It could be. It yeah. could be. There's, there's a lot of interesting. Now, how do you want to break that up? I mean, are we going to talk? sort of pass rushers as, as, you know, sort of part of that? Because obviously there are some linebackers who would be pass. I mean, how do you want to do that? Uh, well, since we're still recording, stay tuned. We'll talk about it after. <laughs> All right. Sounds, I, you know, hey, I just thought maybe I, you know, get people excited about next yes. week, but I guess we'll, we'll, we'll leave them hanging. This stay will be our tuned. cliffhanger. This, this is the season finale, and the cliffhanger, you know, we'll finish it next week. Exactly. Who killed JR, and will we talk about end backers in next week's podcast? Okay. There you go. There it is. All right. Thanks, man.